Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be with you today. David, it's a beautiful post-hurricane morning here in the uh, gorgeous city of Sandy Springs in Atlanta. Uh, and we're happy to be here. Um, we're in one piece. The radio show is operating. Correct, David? We are... Did we lose... Never, we never, never, lost, never lost power. That's because you're that amazing generator here in the building. Uh, it's because I have... A ton of UPSs. <laughs> I noticed yesterday uh, we were lucky, as many longtime listeners to the show know, my old building uh, would, whenever it rained or the threat of rain, it would lose power. Uh, and David it was in the building. It was here in Alabama. It didn't matter where it was. It rained anywhere. We'd lose power. And when I moved, uh, I specifically looked for a building with a massive generator. So yesterday, in fact, we did lose power for 30 seconds, and then the generator came back on, and we were all very good and i was very very happy at the end of the day that we had that uh, had that opportunity to uh, continue to serve our clients it was uh, it was a good day it was a very good day well david we weren't on the air last week um uh because uh i don't recall why when were we oh, i might have been traveling last week uh, is what it was uh but uh we had uh, this issue of daca have come up and daca seems to have uh gained the um the attention of a lot of people who weren't paying uh, attention previously to immigration. Uh, DACA itself, uh, let me give a quick history here, uh, DACA itself was um, put into place uh, by uh, Secretary Janet Napolitano uh, when she was finishing up her term as DHS Secretary in 2012. Uh, and as we've talked about before, the reason DACA came into place was because Obama really was forced to put it into place because the Dreamers were shutting down his campaign offices around the country. Now, they may have been exploring this issue before, uh, but as David is wont to point out, uh, Obama had frequently, very frequently said, I don't have authority to change the law. Do you remember him saying that, David? And I think, if I'm not mistaken, actually in the opinion, five times? I think it was like 45 times. I think it was a lot of times. Uh, they even pointed it out in the opinion uh, when they were uh, denying DAPA later on. The president didn't have authority to make the laws, which is true. The president clearly has no authority to make the laws. But the president does have wide-ranging authorities to both enforce and interpret the laws uh, that Congress has allocated for uh, for the use, particularly of immigrants. David, uh, just this last week I was uh, teaching my immigration law class at Emory University, uh, and last week uh, our topic was the Constitution of the United States and immigration. Now, David, you have a pocket copy of the Constitution. It's always open here on your desk. Uh, would you be able to turn to the immigration clause for me? Um, well, David, the answer is no. You, David's got a puzzled look on his face. Says there is no immigration clause in the Constitution. David, you are correct. There is no immigration clause in the Constitution of the United States. So then why does Congress and or the president have authority over immigration? Why is it not because of the Tenth Amendment given to the states of the United States to uh, rule on immigration issues? Well, that was actually a question that was faced in what became known as the Chinese exclusion cases, uh, where the state of California decided uh, they didn't want any more people from China coming into the state uh, and passed their own state laws on immigration, particularly as it pertains specifically to, uh, to Chinese immigrants. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States in the Chinese cases, Chinese exclusion cases, ruled specifically that uh, the United States government uh, as a result of various issues, including the International Commerce Clause that is in the Constitution, 
the naturalization clause, which is in the Constitution, uh, perhaps even the war powers clause, which is in the Constitution. And more importantly, David, I think you would agree with this, the sovereignty, the inherent sovereignty of a, of a country to control its borders, uh, while not in the Constitution, is inherently given to a country, and that those rights uh, inured to the federal government and not to the states. Uh, so that's why we don't have state laws. Uh, I get an argument on Facebook uh, on the on the web page, uh, Facebook page of a friend um, that you may know. His name is Ruben Navarrete. He's a columnist. Uh, I don't know if you know Ruben or not, but he's a great columnist uh, and takes very much middle of the road um, approach to life and to and to particularly to immigration issues. Uh, and uh, there's this fight on his page, and this guy's like, "Well, if it's not in the Constitution, then the states have that power." Yeah, whatever, dude. You know, uh, that fight was lost 140 years ago in in the Chinese exclusion cases. Uh, at the end of the day, though, we have a situation where President Obama was given authority by the and a requirement by the Congress of the United States to enforce certain laws the Congress passed. Now, among those laws were laws that said if you had entered the United States without a visa, if you had entered the United States without uh, legal documentation then you are subject to being placed into removal proceedings. Uh, that law applies to everybody regardless of age, uh, and uh, thus anybody of any age who is unlawfully present in the United States is subject to removal. At the same time, though, David, as we've talked previously, uh, and which Pro- President Obama came to realize, Congress has also said, we're not going to give you unlimited money to do this. Now, this is a great problem in the United States, this idea that, we are a nation of laws, the rule of law. Um, well, the rule of law is only as good as the money you spend to enforce it. Uh, I don't know if you disagree with that or not, David. I mean, rule is important. We all believe in the rule of law. But if you're not going to enforce the law because you don't have any money to enforce the law, then you're depending on the goodwill of people to obey the law. Now, generally speaking, I would say as a country, we're pretty good about that. Uh, generally speaking, um, the people that don't do that generally are called criminals, right? You don't obey the law, you're a criminal, um, and we go after you. But at the same time, our entire regular judicial system, the entire judicial system, is not necessarily based on enforcement or punishment for the crimes that someone commits. Uh, we, our entire judicial system is actually based on people pleading guilty to crimes they probably did not commit in order to get a lesser sentence, in order to speed their case for the system. Uh, David, can you imagine if everybody in the judicial system said, you know what, I would like to exercise my constitutional right to a jury by the trial of my peers. What happens to our judicial system at that point? It collapses on itself. It just collapses. 99% of cases don't go to trial. They don't. Can you Just, just the idea of juries. How many juries would you have to impanel if everybody wanted a trial. And the secondary question is, where are you getting those juries? Dave, you served on a jury. Uh, at least you've been called for jury duty, I know, because we've talked about it here. Um, have you ever made it onto a jury? One time. I've never made it onto a jury myself. I've, I've, I've desperately tried, but I've never made it onto a jury. I've always wanted to be on a jury. Um, but how many times do you want to do that a year? 20 times? 15 times? Because if you're doing trial service, this is the same problem Obama was faced with on immigration. He has a requirement to fully enforce the U.S. immigration laws. But at the same time, he had a lot of people in the country uh, for which to do this against, but was only allotted enough money by Congress to actually 
carry through on that promise for about 400,000 people a year. Now, the reporter-in-chief, which is the other name for Obama, he uh, effectively did that from 2009 uh, through 2013 and 14 almost. He was deporting 400,000 people a year. Uh, and what was happening is a lot of these kids, the Dreamers themselves, have been organizing since about 2000 and. Three, two thousand four, maybe a little bit before that, but two thousand three or four, they really began to get vocal uh, and get organized and to grow through a, really a net roots, a net uh, a net organization, a grassroots organizational process. And by two thousand and twelve, after Obama had intentionally broken his promise to seek an immigration reform package because uh, Satan incarnate. Uh, uh, otherwise known as Rahm Emanuel, one of one, I think one of your close friends, uh, Rahm Emanuel, basically convinced Obama to say, "Don't do this because we'll do we'll take care of it in the second term." Uh, and so, in, in February of 2013, you know, we're, we're gearing up. But those of us that are involved in immigration reform, we're excited. We had a chance to really make a difference on immigration, and not for illegal immigrants, for people that are undocumented, but really as a future of how America would grow and develop economically, how we could respond. To, uh, in a much more rapid way, the the economic needs of our country through immigration, uh, but Rahm Emanuel shut that down when when the Democrats could have actually fixed the problem. Um, now you know people will like love people love blaming Republicans for this, as you know, David, uh, and, and and rightfully so they should be blamed. But the Democrats are not innocent uh, little bow peeps on this either. They are equally to blame on this because this is an issue that could easily be resolved. Well, that's a different show though. So. Obama uh, has reneged on his promise, said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to uh, uh, carry immigration reform. And so you know what? And then, he, then during the campaign, he says, you know what? I, this next term, yeah, for sure, I'm going to do that because nobody's believing him. And they just get angry with him. The activists get angry with him. Now, David, you have never done a sit-in, I imagine. You're not the kind of sit-in guy. You, don't look, you look like a sit-in guy to me. I'm, I'm not either. But who, hooray to the people that did that. I mean, I, I think it's a wonderful exercise of First Amendment rights. I think it's powerful. Um, and uh, people, some people are just great at doing that. And they brought their point home, and, and Obama collapsed. In June 25th, 2012, he came out with DACA. Now, DACA recognized a very simple fact. Uh, and the very sympathetic fact that there are kids that were brought here uh, when they were minors that simply had no choice. I mean, what does a one-year-old say? What does a, what does a ten-year-old say? Okay, you know, it's just to walk across the, you know, we're going for a walk, okay, and I'm in a different place. You know, American kids get moved all the time without their being safe, so they don't write to say anything about it. So they come here. And many of these kids don't realize their immigration status because generally it's kind of a clueless thing until they're in their early teens. 13, 14, 15, even 16 years old when they want to go get a driver's license. And dad says, son, I've got to talk to you about something. It's very, I mean, I know people that have gone through this conversation. It's a heart-wrenchingly difficult conversation with your kid. We're undocumented. We, we don't have any legal right to be in this country. And you're not getting a driver's license. Um, and so these kids, first, I mean, I, a young man that works for me talks about it on a Facebook post uh, that he put up recently. He tried to commit suicide when he found out. He thought his life was over. Uh, a young man from the Philippines. Uh, it's a very moving uh, video. You should watch it. It's on my Facebook page uh, uh, at uh, Charles Cook or at Cook Immigration Partners. And you can see how he reacts to this. But what he did with that is he then, then he said, you know what, I'm going to work twice as hard then. Ended up being valedictorian of his high school class, ended up getting a full ride to university, uh, and was one of the activists that really demanded that Obama do something. So Obama said, you know what, it's quite clear that Congress uh, is not going to move on immigration. 
before the election. And from a political calculus perspective, his idea, I'm sure, was we got to get Latinos behind me because I need them to get reelected. I can't get reelected without Latinos turning out. So I'm going to basically focus on the biggest group of people and the easiest group and the most sympathetic group. And we're going to open up a pathway where we're going to say publicly we are not going to deport children. We are not going to deport children from the United States. Uh, if if they are of good moral character. So they create what is called and became known as DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Now, DACA said basically this and is based upon the following, and it's not based on any law created by the president. Congress many years ago gave authority to the president of the United States uh, to um, – enforce immigration laws in the best way they thought possible. And, and, and the, the executive branch of the government uh, has created, with the authority of Congress given to them, since 1952, something called Deferred Action. Deferred Action is a program now around for over 60 years, uh, which says, look, if there's a reason that you can't really go, if there's a reason you need, you need a work permit, um, we're gonna. You can come to us and say, "Look, I've got a kid who's got cancer. I know I'm undocumented, but can you defer my deportation? Can you give me deferred action? Deferred action means deferral of deportation uh, for a period of time." And that reg has been in place for a very long time, uh, and says, "Okay, you come forward with your documentation, and we'll take take a look at it, and we will give you a work permit if we decide that it's okay." So Obama took that, and he clearly enhanced it, um, but. The key became, you know, he created a series of criteria that said if you came to the United States before you were 15, 16 years old uh, and you are either still in school or if you're not in school, you've graduated from high school. If you didn't graduate from high school, you're enrolled currently in GED classes or you're in college. Um, and you can show you're a person of good moral character and you can show that you merit – our discretion on granting DACA, and you can show you have an economic need to work, then and only then will we grant you DACA. We will give you, we'll give you deferred action. At that point, uh, and it's all because of clear, they've granted over 95% of DACA cases because people self-select. If you're ineligible, you don't apply. Uh, now we're going to come back and look at what just happened with DACA and Donald Trump on our next block here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to America's Web Radio and the Immigration Hour. It's great to be with you. So we've just done a, a history of DACA. Uh, and as a result, over 950,000 uh, people, maybe up to a million people, actually applied for DACA. Well over 900,000 have gotten it over the period of time that it's been around, which is five years. Today, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 800,000 DACA people. Uh, probably about 50,000 or so have kind of dropped out uh, because they either couldn't afford to pay it or they left the country. Uh, the renewal fees. Another 50,000 have probably got green cards um, through the process, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, and then the rest just kind of renew. And, and what's been remarkable, and one thing I've been putting up on my Facebook page, David, are these stories uh, of, um, uh, of kids who have used DACA and become wildly successful, wildly successful. It's really been amazing to me uh, to see uh, how just giving something uh, something as a work permit, which not it, it it's a it's a deferral of deportation, but giving somebody just that little speck of hope, and they have turned that into just a remarkable success, remarkable success. I have kids, I've seen kids, uh, young men and women do just wonderful things, um, which are now being taken away. Uh, now. Their Department of Homeland Security uh, released a memo uh, doing it with DACA. Uh, and what they said was, look, if you have DACA currently and your DACA expires before March 6th, so on or before March 5th, 2018, you are entitled to renew your DACA for two more years. But you must renew that DACA by October 5th, a random arbitrary deadline. You must renew that by October 5th of 2017. Now, that's a problem, David, because it costs $495 to renew it. These are not free. As you know, the immigration system is not run on tax dollars. It's run on user fees. Uh, and 495 for an 18-year-old kid is, it might as well be a billion dollars. Now, one thing that's very, very cool is the Mexican government has agreed for any Mexican nationals who have... Uh, poor that are poor that meet a poverty threshold, they will pay the 495 for the renewal of their citizens. These kids DACA renewals. Uh, I can't imagine our government would ever do anything like that for anybody, anybody, any U.S. citizen uh, in other countries. Although we did rescue people from the from the hurricane, and then we charged them for the rescue. Uh, so uh, these kids are going to be helped at least to a certain extent. The Mexican kids. Um, and but if your DACA expires after March 5th, the March 6th or after. You're simply out of luck. Uh, that very first day of the announcement, David, I had somebody call me. Their DACA expires March 7th. And I said, I'm really sorry, but you have no DACA. The other thing they did is they said that if you have, a, uh, if you were, have been applying for a travel document under DACA, you, that travel document uh, is going to be denied. So if you have, have not received it, don't currently have one, uh, don't apply anymore, and we're denying all the ones that are currently pending. Now, what I'd like to know, David, is are they refunding that money? Are they going to send that money back um, to um, uh, to the people? That's that was three hundred five hundred and thirty dollars. You think they're going to send that money back? What, what is your take on that, David? Are you going to send the money back, David? No, you don't. They're going to send the money back. That's just gone. We'll have to sue them over that, which is fine. Um, but people who have the travel document can still travel. They're okay. And I actually had a guy just receive his travel document on Friday of last week. He said, DACA got canceled. Said, no, no, you're okay. You can travel. You can travel. So they had to issue an FAQ, David. Do you know what FAQs are? Frequently Asked Questions. So uh, this is rulemaking by FAQ following on a long tradition of Obama and Bush 
who both engaged in rulemaking by FAQ instead of following the APA. So the first question is, why is DHS phasing out DACA? And I will, you know, this is the, it is a DHS program. It's not the president's program. It wasn't Obama's program. It wasn't Trump's program. It's DHS program. So taking into consideration the federal court rulings and ongoing litigation, which has nothing to do with DACA, by the way. There is no federal court litigation on DACA, which DACA wasn't found to be viable. And the September 4th, 2017 letter from the Attorney General, which simply referred to the Fifth Circuit case on DAPA, which had nothing to do with DACA. Um, it is clear the program should be terminated. No, it's not clear. Uh, as such, the acting secretary rescinded the memo of June 15, 2012. Okay. Next question. What's going to happen to current DACA holders? Current DACA recipients will be permitted to retain both the period of deferred action and their employment authorization documents until they expire unless terminated or revoked. DACA benefits are generally valid two years from date of issuance. Okay, that's fine. We talked about that. What happens to individuals who currently have an initial DACA request pending? Due to anticipated costs and administrative burdens associated with rejecting all pending initial requests, USCIS will adjudicate on an individual case-by-case basis, as they always have, all properly filed DACA initial requests and associated applications that have been accepted as of September 5th, 2017. So, there you go. If you've got a pending DACA request, you're in good shape. What happens to individuals who currently have a request for renewal of DACA pending? Due to anticipated costs and administrative burdens associated with rejecting all pending renewal requests, they will adjudicate those on a case-by-case basis. Now, why this is important, David, they use these words case-by-case. Why are they doing that? Well, one of the requirements of deferred action is that it be done not in, in mass, but you, you look at the merits of each case. And here is really kind of the problem, David. Uh, it is clear that the Obama administration did, in fact, on occasion, just approve cases because they needed to approve them. They didn't really look at the case-by-case application. Uh, and people became complacent in the filing, particularly of DACA renewals, which immigration only required that you file the, the, the form and money without explaining why you needed it. So the vast majority of these currently pending request extensions really do not speak. They do not talk of the individuality, the individual need, the individual circumstance of the DACA applicant. And my fear is they will begin to deny these DACA applications, saying, hey, you didn't, you know, there's no individualized reason why you should give this to you other than you base qualify. You haven't explained. So I would imagine... We're going to be getting a lot of denials and or, better, requests for additional evidence from these kids, for these kids, why you deserve, why you should get a renewal of your DACA. And so what we've been telling people, um, David, that are applying for their DACA renewals is that they are required to put in there evidence of your life. How has DACA changed your life? How has DACA made a difference for you? Uh, why do you merit? What is special about you that you should merit this particular form of relief because, now here's what's interesting, David. They said they didn't have authority to do the program, yet they're still doing the program. That strike you as a little, I want to use the word ironic, is not the really right word. Um, is there any cognitive dissonance going on with that? It's not a legal program, but we're going to keep adjudicating it like it's a legal program. Because the reality is, it is a legal program, and they're actually following the protocols in place for deferred action. So a lot of lawyers just been tossing in applications. 
here's the form, you know, pay me 200 bucks and we'll get it in. That's not, absolutely not what needs to happen. These applications need to include, must include, a very detailed explanation about why you need DACA, individualized, and why you need a work permit. Um, and so what they're doing, they're accepting, as we said, applications from people who expire between September 5 and March 5 and must have it in by October 5th. So I would encourage anybody uh, who is um, renewing their DACA, uh, they're listening to this, they must include an individualized inter- uh, discussion about why their DACA should be granted. All right, so what happens when an individual's DACA benefits expire over the course of the next two years? Will individuals with expired DACA be considered illegally present in the United States? Now, this is a very interesting question, David, uh, because it goes really to a lot of different issues, including the lawsuit that I have pending on deferred action. The question itself is this. Will individuals with expired DACA be considered illegally present in the United States, or what we would call unlawfully present? The answer is this. Current law does not grant any legal status for the class of individuals who are current recipients um, of DACA. Recipients of DACA are currently unlawfully present in the U.S. with their removal deferred. Now, that statement is legally incorrect and not only contrary to prior DACA FAQs, but also contrary to immigration policy. So what this state, what that sentence is, that was put in there by DHS counsel who hate DACA and DACA immigrants and immigrants in general. I know exactly the person who put that statement in there because that statement comes directly out of FAIR and CIS, Jeff Sessions' office, and is legally incorrect, legally incorrect. People with deferred action have lawful presence. So that is an answer to a question that's not asked. The question is, will individuals expired DACA be illegally present? Current law does not grant any legal status for class of individuals who are currently receiving DACA. We know that. But current law does, in fact, give you lawful presence if you have DACA. So that statement is illegal uh, and contrary to policy. When the period of deferred action is terminated, their removal is no longer deferred and no longer be able to fill the limit. So this, the answer to the question is actually a cha- an attempt to change policy that cannot be changed outside of the Administrative Procedures Act and has massive connotations. And they know the connotations. The people that changed this did not change this by accident. This was an intentional change that they know is illegal. They know this. And they're doing this to intentionally hurt people. Why? For this reason. If I have given DACA, I know during the time that I have DACA under both federal law DHS and USAS policy and prior DACA FAQs that I do not accrue lawful presence, unlawful presence. This is why it's inconsistent when they say you can travel on advanced parole and come back in 
And that's because you're not accruing unlawful presence. You don't have unlawful presence. So if I got DACA when I was 16 years old or, or 17 years old, and I'm now 22 years old, I do not have unlawful presence. Why is that important? That is important because if I am married to a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident, I can leave the country, process for my green card, and not be subject to the unlawful presence bars. Or if I'm 20 years old, I've been working for an employer who now wants to sponsor me, and my doc is good for two more years, that employer can sponsor me, I can leave the country, get my green card based upon my employer sponsorship and not have to do a waiver or a, for my bar because I don't have any unlawful presence accruing for a bar. So what they're trying to do, apparently retroactively, if not prospectively, is recreate the bar. So repunish people when they have been relying on DACA for a lawful presence, lawful position in society not accruing unlawful status. This is... This is really extraordinary, an extraordinary overreach by the administration, extraordinary overreach, and I know exactly the human being responsible for this. I will not name him on the air this week, but if this is not changed, I will begin to name him on air. We know exactly who did this. So for those of you listening who are lawyers, understand, and I'll be doing a blog about this later today or tomorrow as well, um, that immigration is, at least according to this FAQ, taking the position that DACA does not stop the accrual of unlawful presence. That is absolutely contrary, absolutely opposite of what uh, prior DACA rules say and absolutely contrary to the DHS memo on this exact issue um, that was published in 2009 on unlawful presence, exactly contrary to that. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back and finish talking about this policy memo so you can get an idea of what's going on. We'll come back in just a minute on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Web Radio and the Immigration Hour about the question six in the FAQ and the purported change to the idea that DACA recipients are accruing unlawful presence. That is directly contrary to the prior FAQ and directly contrary to the 2009 memo issued uh, by the U.S. by the, by Homeland Security and USCIS uh, on the uh, consolidation of guidance on unlawful presence. This was issued by Don Neufeld, um, May 6, 2009, re-consolidation of guidance concerning unlawful presence for purposes of sections 212A9B1, 212A9C11. Uh, it is essential, and it's quite clear, this is the problem with these guys at DHS. They think they're, they think they're so smart. Most of them are d- dumber than a post. Uh, and they don't really realize what they do. They, they had this idea they want to change something and they just change it. They don't realize they're going to lose this in the courts when this comes to the courts. Uh, but they do it because they love, they love hurting people. Uh, they, they're not protecting anybody. They're just hurting people. And they love doing that. I don't know if they get their rocks off doing that or what, but they clearly are not, they're not human beings in the context of wanting to help and, and care for the people, nor in, they're not actually really good lawyers at all either in context of interpreting what the law means. Uh, one thing that I like about this policy memo is it really does distinguish between the idea of unlawful status and unlawful presence. Um, and for example, DHS may permit an alien who is present in the U.S. unlawfully, but who has a pending application that stops the accrual of unlawful presence to remain in the U.S. while the application is pending. In that sense, the alien remaining can be said to be authorized. However, the fact that the alien does not accrue unlawful presence does not mean that the alien's presence in the United States is actually lawful. So, you know, it goes through this entire series of distinguishing between lawful status as opposed to lawful presence and specifically says, specifically says that an individual under deferred action, as that is defined in the laws of the United States and in the, um, in the uh, situation in the context of uh, deferred action under the rules and policies of USCIS and regulations, that they are not accruing unlawful presence in the United States. Uh, and because they are not accruing unlawful presence in the United States, they are not subject to the three and ten year bars. So take a look at the, the, the blog I'll be writing on this, and, and I'm sure Abe will put out information about this as well as other, other lawyers. Uh, Cyrus Mehta's got a great blog on this from 2009 when this first came out. But this is very, very powerful information because if they are successful in, in winning, which, I, which they will not be, but if they are, this idea that, the, uh, that, that de- deferred action for childhood arrivals does not stop the accrual of uh, unlawful presence, then these kids will not be able uh, to uh, benefit uh, from their time on dock in a way that uh, is clearly both legal and lawful. Uh, for example, um, today, if you have unlawful presence in the United States um, and you want, and you let's say you're married to a U.S. citizen, you have to physically leave the United States for 10 years before you can come back in uh, unless, unless specifically uh, you are granted a waiver under the law what they call a uh, provisional waiver before leaving the United States. Um, so um, you are granted that waiver. You can do that here under a 601A on the provisional waiver program. And then at that same time, you can go ahead and then leave the country, process for your green card, and come back. So there is a provisional waiver for that. But if you don't have a spouse or a parent who are a U.S. citizen or permanent resident, 
you cannot get that waiver. A lot of times, David, we've seen a lot of things. Why, these kids have had DACA for five years. Why haven't they gotten a green card? Haven't gotten a green card because they can't. They have a problem with the three and ten year bar. Uh, many of the uns on DACA actually got DACA after they were 18 and thus accrued unlawful presence. Uh, unlawful presence only accrues after the age of 18. Uh, so if they left the country through an employer sponsoring them, and they all 91% of them have jobs, so 91% of them can be sponsored, um, then the situation you have is that they'd have to leave the country, but they'd have to leave the country for 10 years. Uh, and that is, um, you know, that's not going to happen. I mean, clearly an employer is not going to wait 10 years for you to come back from outside the United States uh, in order to do your job. So the, the laws themselves prohibit the vast majority of DACA kids and DACA recipients and undocumented people in general from actually obtaining any sort of legal status in the United States. So most Americans simply have no idea that if you are uh, granted some sort of uh, some, the ability to get a employer wants to sponsor, you have that approved, you cannot get a green card. You're just, sorry, you're out of luck. And, and what's weird is uh, they have been granted this idea, this, this primitive sentence here. So we have here, for example, in Section J, uh, this is on page uh, 42 of the DACA memo. In J, it says this, aliens granted deferred action. A DHS field officer director may, in his or her discretion, recommend deferral of removal action, which is what DACA is, an act of administrative choice in determining as a matter of prosecutorial discretion to give some cases lower enforcement priority. This is just DACA. Deferred action is in no way an entitlement and does not make an alien status lawful. Deferred action simply recognizes that DHS has limited enforcement resources and that every attempt should be made administratively to utilize these resources in a manner which will achieve the greatest impact under immigration law. There is no specific authority for deferred action codified in law or regulation, although certain types of benefits refer to the grant of deferred action. Accrual of unlawful presence stops on the date an alien is granted deferred action and resumes the day after deferred action is terminated. The granting of deferred action is not limited to any prior periods of unlawful presence. So this is, this is formal DHS policy in place for more than 60 years, uh, and which is clearly lawful within the context of the inherent authority and resources granted by Congress uh, to the executive branch. And now, in a one-sentence FAQ, they want to change that? Uh, David, that actually is a violation of the APA. So if, in fact, they attempt to say that you have accrued unlawful presence through this, the reality is they will lose that in federal court because it violates the Administrative Procedures Act. By the way, you know, David, they actually have brought several different lawsuits uh, have been filed, uh, one, including by Janet Napolitano. What was her name? She had a nickname, didn't she? What was Janet, Janet Napolitano's nickname? She had a nickname in conservative circles, if I recall correctly, David. Um, surely you remember. Because you've used the nickname. We've used it on the show before. I wish I could remember. Um, I, I, wish, I wish I could remember what that was, but I just don't remember. Uh, she has sued because she is now the chancellor of the University of California University System. She has sued on behalf of that university system and um, has uh, included in her lawsuit this idea that they have violated the APA by taking DACA away. Uh, And that, David, I think actually is interesting because they're right. Obama, this is why uh, if we had a long session on DAPA back in uh, uh, back last year when DAPA was found to be violative of the APA, 
because Obama had not filed the appeal, and I'd written a blog on this. Obama, February 2015, please publish this, please publish this, please publish this, please publish this. You can publish this. Emergency rules, and they just refuse to do it. Obviously, they're not taking my advice now. Um, and thus, when the 11th Circuit, which was looking for a reason to deny DAPA, was able to do so by saying you hadn't complied with the APA. DACA, however, did comply with the APA. They did go through the APA rulemaking process for DACA. And so I think when they end DACA, they, in fact, do violate the APA by doing so. Um, so I, I will be curious to see how that lawsuit ter- turns out. He's also been sued by uh, the state of New York uh, and 18 other attorney generals, far more than the uh, nine, one of whom stepped out, by the way, that were going to sue uh, Trump and Sessions over DACA's uh, legitimacy. So 19 have filed a lawsuit. Uh, to date, I don't think there has been any rulings that I'm aware of that are part of this. Um, and so I think what's going to happen is uh, ultimately one of these two lawsuits, probably the California one, uh, will come to a head first, and they may in fact put the termination of DACA on hold pending an adjudication in that case. And what may happen, David, um, if they do in fact manage to get themselves a preliminary injunction in place, uh, and they could la- they could keep DACA around for a very long time. Now, Trump has done something very interesting in taking away DACA, David. He has put himself in kind of a no-lose situation by ending DACA. It's really interesting. Although people like Steve Bannon think that he, he has uh, cost the Republicans the House and the Senate in 2018, I actually think he has given a unique opportunity to the GOP to ensure a majority in 2018 uh, in the House and the Senate. Because if the GOP stepped forward today and said, you know what? We're going to have a vote on DACA. Uh, no GOPer is going to lose a seat in Congress by voting to give a path to legality to kids. They're just not going to lose that seat. Eighty percent of Americans support it. Now, there are clearly members of the GOP who hate immigrants of every stripe and think it's a really good idea to get rid of immigrants from the very beginning and get them out of the country and have no empathy or compassion for anybody. But they are a very tiny minority of the party. Uh, and while there are some of them in Congress... Uh, if you put this on the floor today, you would get a majority of the GOP voting for the DREAM Act and every Democrat. You would get 350 votes for, for, for the DREAM Act in the House, and you'd probably get 75 to 80 of them in the Senate today. So the question becomes, is, are McConnell and Ryan smart enough to use this as a way to actually take votes away from the Democratic Party. Uh, because right now, if they don't have a vote, all the Democrats can say is, we'll, we'll, we'll all support it, we'll all support it. The Republicans are stopping us, Republicans are stopping us. That's going to cost them more votes in the next election. Trump, on the other hand, comes out smelling like a rose. Because here's his thing. Look, yes, I'm going to end DACA in six months. But his night tweet, of course, is, you know, if Congress doesn't work on it, we'll, of course, revisit the issue. So he's left himself an out. So he's never the bad guy. And if Congress does act on it, who gets the credit, David? Trump. He gets the credit. So he, he has managed to take an issue which was is volatile in American politics and come out smelling like a rose. 
Uh, it is, I don't know what kind of rose. Maybe it's one of those stinky roses. Let's take a break here, our final break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to our final segment here on America's Web Radio. We talked today about... Uh, the DACA memo, we talked about lawful presence, we talked about advanced parole. The last thing I want to talk about today is another major, major, major policy shift uh, by uh, the Trump administration uh, on the issue of what we refer to as the 30-60-day rule. This is a um, massive, David, a massive change. David, do you happen to know what the... 30, 60 day rule is? You probably don't know, do you? you don't, day rule. I'm shocked, David, that you don't know what, uh, what the 30, 60 day rule is. So there has been this policy uh, both within the USCIS and Department of State for, I don't know, forever, said this if you came into the country under a visitor visa status and within 30 days you moved to change your status to another status, let's say you got married to a citizen and filed for a green card or you filed a change to a visitor. It was presumed that you were presumption that you had committed fraud, an irrebuttable presumption that you had committed fraud on entry, that you had lied to the officer at the airport when you said, I was coming to visit. The 60-day rule was if you change between 30 and 60 days, there was a rebuttable presumption that you committed fraud, thus the 30-60 day rule. So, you know, what do you tell clients? All right, well, if you want to come to America and you're looking at a business or you're, you're thinking about, well, maybe there's a girl here, I'm, you know, I'm coming up to check out. Do not get married. You want to go to school? Do not talk to schools. Do not do anything for 60 days. After 60 days, there's no, there's no presumption. There's no nothing. You're good to go. So you're fine in that regard. Uh, and this is, you know, uh, you know an, an okay kind of approach to this. Uh, and But what happened was, uh, last week, Department of State came out with a policy, not a policy, but a changes to their FAM, what they call the Foreign Affairs Manual, and, and substantial changes to the uh, and elimination of the 30-60-day rule. Just literally scrapped it. And here's what they said. Uh, they, re- they literally, the way the Department of State does it, they just literally replace this. 
So it says, here is the new uh, memo. Activities that indicate violation of status or conduct inconsistent with status. This is under uh, FAM, 9 FAM, which is uh, the 22 uh, CFR, section 302.9-4, B in parentheses, 3 in parentheses, U, interpretation of the term misrepresentation. In determining whether a misrepresentation has been made, some of the most difficult cases questions arise from questions involving aliens in the United States who conduct themselves in a manner inconsistent with the representations they made to consular officers or inspectors concerning their intentions at the time of visa application or to DHS when applying for admission or for an immigration benefit. Such cases occur most frequently with respect to aliens who, after obtaining visas as non-immigrants, and having been admitted to the U.S. either apply for adjustment of status to permanent residence or who fail to maintain their non-immigrant status by engaging in unauthorized study or employment. So thus, applications for adjustment or change of status in the U.S. are adjudicated by the USCIS. If you as a consular officer become aware of derogatory information indicating that an alien in the United States who has a valid visa may have misrepresented his or her intentions to you at the time of the visa application or to DHS at the port of entry or in the filing of immigration benefit, you may bring the derogatory information to the attention of the department for potential revocation. If you become aware of derogatory information against an alien in the U.S. without a valid visa who is not a permanent resident may have misrepresented to you his intentions at the time of the application, you may enter a P6C1 lookout in the class system. That's a code. They have this weird database you can check out with the appropriate information. Do not request an advisory opinion in these cases because it would not be binding on USCIS. <coughs> now, here's what they say it's important. What is inconsistent conduct within 90 days of entry? This used to say 60. If an alien violates or engages in conduct inconsistent with his status within 90 days of entry, they've amplified the status, you may presume that the applicant's representations about engaging in only status-compliant activity were willful misrepresentations of his or her intention in seeking a visa. To make a finding of inadmissibility for misrepresentation based upon conduct inconsistent with status in 90 days, you may request an advisory opinion. So here's what they say. Here's what is a violation. Engaging in unauthorized employment within 90 days. Enrolling in a course of academic study if such study is not authorized for that classification, B status. A non-immigrant B or F or other status prohibiting immigrant marrying a U.S. citizen or taking up residence in the U.S., like getting an apartment. Undertaking any other activity for which a change of status or an adjustment of status would be required without the benefit of a change or adjustment of status. If the alien violates or engages in conduct inconsistent with his or her immigrant when I enter the country, no presumption of willful research arises. So here's what's interesting, David. Why is this important? One, it appears that this change is retroactive. See a problem with that? So people have received legal advice saying, look, after 60 days you, can, you want to go to school? Great. File a change of status at 65 days. You're fine. Now they're saying, ah, that's within 90 days. Do you see the problem here? This is why I hate retroactive application of the law. It's, just, it's literally not fair. Now, we know under the Constitution, we have that clause called the Constitution Test, David, X. 
the ex post facto falls. You can't make it. You can't make a, a criminal law retroactive. That does not apply in the immigration context. Why? Immigration is not criminal law. So you can make it retroactive. Although I, I think they would be held to be by a court not retroactive. Um, so if if in fact this happens, the burden of proof falls to the alien to establish that his or her true intent at the time of the presumptive movement was permissible. So they can rebut it, but if it's overcome, you're, you're good to go. But if it's not overcome, you're screwed. It. Now, here they also go to this, applying the 30-60-day rule. And determining uh, a misrepresentation made, some of the most difficult questions apply. So this is the new, that's the new rule. The 30-60-day rule is gone. So they've literally eliminated the 30-day, 60-day rule. And... Uh, this is going to have, David, massive impact on people. I have a number of cases pending for people that filed for changes of status before 90 days but after 60 days. And the query is, will USCIS adopt this rule? Uh, what about people who have done this and then leave the country to get a visa stamp? So you came as a visitor, you changed to student, you na- and you did it within that 90 days. You cannot now go home and get a visa. You will be denied. You will absolutely be denied that visa at your port of entry. This has major, massive, extraordinary implications uh, for people, and it's gotten no press whatsoever. Now, my friend Bernie Walstorf put out a great blog at walstorf.org, uh, walstorf.com. He's, Bernie's not, a, not, a, not an organization, walstorf.com. Uh, uh, Bernie's a terrific immigration lawyer. Uh, and their blog goes on to talk about the implications of this. So I would, uh, I'd encourage people uh, to read Bernie's blog on this uh, so you can take a look at um, what this really means. His blog is the nine things you need to know about the Department of State's 90-day rule regarding misrepresentation. So you got inconsistent conduct, presumption of willful misrepresentation, retroactive application, filing for adjustment of status, uh, and what other options you may have. Now, Bernie, he did put the nine, oh, five things you need to know, not the nine things, the five things you need to know about this. Uh, so I would uh, I'd encourage our folks who are in this window or our listeners abroad who travel to the U.S., there's now a 90-day rule. There's not a 60-day rule. You've got to know about this. It's a massive, massive change and has extraordinary, extraordinary implications on on this that I think are going to have uh, just massive changes, just massive changes. Uh, David, uh, what, is, uh, what have you heard on uh, from Politico's people on the show? Anybody talked about DACA here on the other shows? They talked about uh, Trump's actions on DACA at all or just radio silence from other hosts here? Radio silence, really? I mean, that actually, you know what? That actually speaks volumes, doesn't it? It speaks volumes about it. Um, because what it says is it uh, doesn't really matter what happens. And this actually goes to the statistics. 80% of people support the DREAM Act. I mean, it just goes to numbers. I think people not talking about it, I think, speaks volumes. What do you think? Well, you know, I'm a bit cynical about people in general. I, David, I think all of our listeners know that at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I. It's sort of like, um, what did I hear? That it, just somebody popping off and uh, about something that they had no clue about, and I. Until somebody brings up, oh my God, the immigration and the illegals are eating our food. 
Well, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. You know? And nine hours out of ten, nobody cares. Right. And I think this is... I think this is a terrible fallacy of our our uh, media, but also just people in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I like agree. A, an example of it is like I was at a grocery store. Now, this is a, a number of years ago, but milk, the price of milk had gone up. Well, they were blaming the farmer. These two ladies were having a conversation blaming the farmer. Oh, the farmers, they don't do anything, and they've raised the price of milk and all this. And they never address the middleman that right. does nothing. Right. He just adds cost. He just Not adds value. cost. It's just cost. And then you could relate this to, to immigration. Mm-hmm. There, There is a, a middle ground in there that just adds confusion. Mm-hmm. Maybe not cost, but confusion. Certainly confusion in there. I mean, people just don't... I mean, the biggest problem on immigration, David, most people, they don't have any idea how it works. They have no they just, clue. They just literally live in an oblivious world. Uh, like people who say, these kids have been a doctor for five years, why haven't they gotten a green card? You know? It, cause, and, and, and the bad, worst part, David, is they put stuff like that on social media. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. so, they, hey, I'm ignorant, here's proof. Um, and uh, it's just stunning to me. And the thing is, you can't talk to those people either. Oh, no. Because they don't are right about what they're saying. Don't confuse me with facts. My facts I don't want. Facts. My mind's made up. That's my favorite hashtag, by the way. <laughs> hashtag facts. Hashtag um, facts. Uh, I still, you know, I, even though facts have become pretty malleable in the last year or so, I still think back to Senator Daniel, Daniel Patrick Moynihan's statement uh, that you are absolutely entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. I'm not sure that's true anymore, uh, but certainly was true for a long time. It's been a great show this week. Thanks for having us on. I'll be back next week on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio, hopefully giving us more details on the on the 90-day rule uh, on DACA. And uh, until then, call your congressman and demand they pass the DREAM and the RAC Acts. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.